In 2005, two brothers set off on a road trip that would eventually save the world and change television. For 15 seasons and 327 episodes, Supernatural took audiences on a wild ride of family, fate, and faith with a rocking soundtrack and a seriously cool car. But that was then, and this is now. And while the show might have ended, we're not quite done with the journey. And that's why we're watching it all over again, diving deep into every episode of Supernatural with the fine folks who made it. And we're taking you along for the ride. I'm Rob Benedict. I played Chuck Shirley, a.k.a. God. And yes, that's a bit of a spoiler, but spoilers are going to be fair game here. And I'm Richard Spade Jr., and I played the Trickster, also known as the Archangel Gabriel. We'll be talking about the entire series, so don't say we didn't warn you. So buckle up and settle in. This is Supernatural, then and now. Hi, everybody. It's Rob Benedict. And Richard Spate. And we're here to talk about episode 103, entitled Dead in the Water. Ooh. Following a lead after a mysterious drowning, Sam and Dean investigate the town of Lake Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Wait, those guys are back? <laughs> yeah, turns out they're back. Huh. Where they meet Sheriff Jake Devins, his daughter and recent widow, Andrea Barr, and her son, Lucas, who hasn't spoken since his father drowned in the lake earlier this year. Uh-huh. Dean, however, makes connection with another boy who saw something terrible. Good Dean. After the brother and father of the first victim drown as well. Lots of drowning in yeah. this episode. Good note. Uh, the boys theorize a vengeful spirit of a boy named Peter is haunting the lake, taking revenge for his death 35 years before, and that Bill, the father, was involved. Man, that's a lot of moving parts. Lots of stuff happening. I hope you watched and are following along. But Peter isn't done. Andrea is targeted and nearly drowned by the ghost. Ow! But Sam and Dean save her. With the help of Lucas, they discover it was Andrea's father, Jake, along with Bill, who let Peter drown and covered it up. And Peter is killing everyone Jake loved. Peter drags Lucas into the lake, but Jake offers himself instead to save his grandson. Well, that's the right thing to do. Get ready. Spoiler alert. Jake dies. Well, there you go. But Dean is able to save Lucas. Thank gosh. And our hearts. Once again... (laughs) Dean saving our hearts. Good Lord. Um, yeah, lots happening. It's a big episode. Big episode. We are lucky to have Robert Singer, executive producer, on the show with us today. We talk about uh, all things Singer. Right, we do. We actually get a chance to talk about Kim Manners, who directed this episode and who sadly passed away during season four of the show. Yeah, legend of the industry, directed uh, a bunch of X-Files, actually was, I think, one of the creative producers on X-Files, and just a huge history in the business, and Supernatural was lucky enough to get him on board as a visionary of the show early on, and then he he passed away, surprisingly, in the middle of uh, season four. As well as, uh, in addition to Bob Singer, we talked to Amy Acker, who played the mother, Andrea, on the show. She sure did. And she's uh, also, what would you say, a veteran of showbiz? She's a darn near a big star, is what she is. Yeah, she's she works done, all the time. done a lot of work, and she talks with us as well. So it's quite an episode, and without further ado, here it is. We're so lucky today. We've got really the the big wig of the show. The brass. The brass. Mr. Robert Singer, executive producer extraordinaire, is with us. Hi, Bob. Hi, guys. How are you? Miss you. Doing. Miss you, too. Yeah. Just sort of historical reference, and people listen to this in the time capsule years from now. Right. We had all planned on being in the same room. Right. But COVID. But COVID. COVID came in. Yeah. Ruined it for everybody. Yeah. And in fact, you know, when the show ended, we had planned to all have a, a rap party together and say goodbye. We never had that either. COVID. COVID. I blame COVID. It was an odd end after 15 years. I mean, I'm For glad sure. we got to actually finish the show, but it would have been nice to have been 
A, shoot the ending that we had initially planned to shoot and also had everybody there so we could all hug and kiss and yeah. say our proper goodbyes. Yeah, after 15 years. Instead of nine people in hazmat suits waving from a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we are off topic here because really this is about the beginning okay, We're back of the at the show. beginning. The we're, origin. We're talking today about episode three, Dead in the Water. Or 103, as I like to say in the business. Sure. Um, so before we get into the episode, let's talk a bit about you, Bob, and how you came to be a part of Supernatural. What was the initial collaboration with Eric Kripke like, and how did that come about? Well, um, they did the pilot, which Eric uh, produced and David Nutter directed, and uh, it was a terrific pilot. And when it got picked up to go to series, Warner Brothers, in their um, wisdom, thought that Eric might need um, a older, steadier hand at the wheel. I'm not, <laughs> sure, I'm not sure that that was true. Eric hit the ground running. But they sent me to pilot. I looked at the pilot. I thought it was terrific. I thought the guys were terrific. Nutter, as usual, did a bang-up job. So I was interested. Eric and I probably met three, maybe four times. It is that usual thing, you know, where they try to make a marriage where the young creator probably says, well, you know, what do I what do I need this old fart for? <laughs> but we got along really great. And Eric said, let's meet one more time. And I said, Eric, I've told you everything I could tell you. <laughs> let's do it or not do it. But yeah. And we went forward. And I must say it was probably after, you know, years in this business, it was probably the best working relationship I've, I've had. We, wow. We connected right away. Yeah, I think your collaboration is sort of speaks for itself yeah. because of the tenure, the, yeah. the strength of the show. Here's my question for you. Ro rewind even beyond that. Before that, what had you been doing? Like, so obviously you're a man with a massive resume, been in TV forever, been in movies forever. What had you been doing previous to this to sort of set you up for this moment? I mean, what made this a good fit in the eyes of people who make that kind of decision? Well, I, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, there's certainly a value in experience and, and God knows I had a lot of that. And I think they wanted Eric to be comfortable. He had an experience, I think, before this on another show that didn't really work out. And, and, and they had put him with a, um, another elder producer <laughs> uh, and it didn't work out too well. And those marriages rarely do, you know, because the young creators says, you know, do I really need this guy? And then there are guys who will come in and say, well, this kid doesn't know what he's doing. I better take the show over. So those marriages oftentimes don't work. I thought Eric's vision of the show was really kind of locked in and pretty much set in stone. He knew what he wanted to do. I agreed with most things that he wanted to do. And uh, once he pushed the button, it was, like I said, it was just smooth sailing. The only, I think in the first year, I think it was the first year, he wanted to do bugs. And I said, you know, this is. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that is, the, that is the show that always comes up. I mean, it always comes up as a, uh, except for bugs. Uh, if only, <laughs> if not for bugs, you know. So I said, now, this is not going to work. And he goes, no, no, it'll be great. It'll be great. And, you know, sometimes you learn from your mistakes, right? <laughs> That's that so was a funny. Mistake. And Eric came to me afterwards and he goes, the next time you say no, I'm going to listen to you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now, this is a rudimentary question for the veterans like ourselves, but for people who don't necessarily know the industry as well as we do, give people an overview of what an executive producer does. What did you come in and start doing in your role on the show? Well, you know, the first thing you do is um, you get a writing staff together, and Eric had some people in mind, and he hired them. John Scheiben, I think, was with the original group. 
and you start breaking the stories of where you see the, the show going. So a lot of time is spent there. What I did was, you know, I mean, Eric really took the lead there and it was an open room and it was not a lot of um, disagreements going on. People can express their honest opinions and everybody's opinion is respected. Ultimately, Eric or I would have the final word. Also putting together a group to shoot in um, Vancouver. I think the best thing I added to that was the hiring of Serge, the DP, who's from Montreal. <laughs> and the studio is going, Jesus, what do we need a guy from Montreal for? Can we get a local cameraman? Or, you know? And I said, no, no. This is the guy. And Serge really wanted the job. He flew in from Montreal to have an interview for this show. I had really liked his reel, and I thought he would be perfect. And over some objections from the studio, they said, okay, this is the guy you want. Fine, go with him. That was probably early on. My greatest contribution was finding Serge. <laughs> well, which was a huge one. Yeah. He, he went the whole run with us from the beginning to end. And they are just getting scripts in shape, hiring directors. Before I actually signed on, they had hired a few directors. And as we get into um, Dead in the Water, I'll, I'll give you some insights on that, because Kim directed that. Yeah. Um, so that's it. You get it up and running. There's going to be bumps along the way. You right. get scripts that are not up to snuff. Are they worth rewriting? Uh, even if we rewrite them, are they going to be good? Right. You right. Know, starting a show is is always a bumpy road. We didn't avoid some of the bumps. They were there. Yeah. Fortunately, Jared and Jensen, great individually and fantastic together, I think carried us over some of the weak spots early on just mm -hmm. with their charisma and the, the way they work together. Yeah. Rich and I were noting that just going back and watching these episodes from the beginning, Rich said this morning, it, it holds up so well. Yeah, the show really holds up. And the guys are such a huge part of that. I mean, there's, there's no one more masculine than Jensen Ackles on the WB at this point, right? I mean, they're 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 turning in performances as young 20-year-olds that are top-notch. Yeah, it's really interesting to go back and watch because you know, we sort of have embedded ourselves in the last few seasons, but if you pause and go back to the beginning, the show is built on such a solid foundation. They're so good together. The stories are super strong and they're great actors. Mm -hmm. Aside from just being good chemistry, they're really solid. The mm -hmm. characters are well defined, defined and they're good yeah. in the, good in the roles. Yes, absolutely. You know, and they were they were cast long before I got there, and it was a really <laughs> a good job of casting. But you know, you don't always know when you cast these things initially if the chemistry is going to be there. In this case, it it really was, and the guys generally liked each other and continue to be good friends. When I did Lois and Clark, Terry and Dean had great chemistry together off screen. Not so much. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> this was the perfect storm. They're great on screen together, and they're great personally together, and that really uh, come through. So I think they just, they could cover some of the early mistakes yeah. we made, whether it would be in scripts or the way the show was shot. You know, they really carried the ball for us. Well, let me get into that, because, you know, talking about this episode, so the episode before this, Wendigo, it functioned almost as part two of the pilot, it was focused on the monster and the search for John and the boys finding their way and their purpose. This episode focused a little more on characters. We got to see more that Dean's more than just a bad boy, that he's kind of a scared little kid inside that really cares about people. And even Sam, he's, he's first kind of this nerdy, gentle brother, but really he's the one that's most like his dad, John, and bent on revenge. Right. Were these conversations at this point you guys were having in the room about fleshing out these characters, or was, was Eric clear on this from the beginning, or... 
were there pivots you had to make from the pilot in terms of exploring more who these guys are, who Sam and Dean are? No, I think Eric had a, a, a clear, uh, a clear-eyed look at that. I think he he knew what he wanted, uh, how it would unfold, how, how how quickly we would get into mythology. It was always a uh, always a discussion. Mm. Um, what do you mean by that? So mythology meaning? Well, you have mythology episodes and standalone episodes. Okay, um, you know, monster of the week or an episode that would be purely about the search for John and whatever they would do, and that would fall into the mythology uh, gotcha. category. So we didn't quite know what that balance should be early on, and you kind of find your way in that. As seasons went on, we were able to kind of lay out early on in the season. We say, okay, we're going to do this many standalones. We're going to do this many mythology episodes. Even in the standalones, there are always nods to the mythology to keep that going. Right. So there is a dead in water. Sarah Gamble, Rael Tucker. It's their debut on the show as writers. So how did, I mean, obviously it had big impact, especially Sarah had a huge impact on the show, taking the role of showrunner years later. How did that relationship start? Were they were they part original gangsters of the original writers room, and and how did their their work on the show play out as their debut started? Yeah, we were really happy with that script. They came as a team, and I can remember them saying, "God, I really, you know, that was this is what the show could be and should be." That script, yeah. Right. It also was. I can remember the reason I thought that it was all right. So I was up. Uh, prepping them that well that's another story i wasn't supposed to direct any in the first 13 oh yeah uh, they wanted me in, in la guiding the ship right eugenie's mother got ill she was in chicago and she was ill and we flew to chicago uh, she was in the hospital and and i got a call from eric that and i can't even remember the director's name but the director who was supposed to direct that episode phantom traveler bailed out and you have to go up to Vancouver. I can tell you my wife is not happy. As wow. it is. And I got to go back to L.A., pack a bag, and go to Vancouver um, yeah. to prep it. And that was when I first met Kim. And I can remember going down on stage, and he was doing a shot. And it was just the, the little kid playing with some toys or something. But I was watching what Kim was doing, and I go, that's the way this show should look. Those are the kind of shots we should be doing. This, this guy gets it. You know, and he had all those X-Files. I mean, he was a tremendous director. And I think in terms of style, the show really turned a corner with that episode. Wow. And so that was sort of a guidance. Then for you doing the next episode, you kind of saw something and you wanted to sort of stay in well, that. Well, I mean, I knew, you know, knew the way I shoot. And, yeah. and, and you know, I, I, I like to think of myself as having some style. But um, <laughs> I always think of you as very stylish. Well, well yes. If you can see what I see. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but Kim just totally got it. Now, you know, the Kim's approach to directing and mine is they're a little different. Oh, don't so don't skip over that. I want to know because obviously Rob's worked with you a lot. I've worked with you a lot. I worked with Kim once and only for like a day or two, so I don't really know his style. So yeah, talk a little bit about Kim and and his style and, and his style, and, yeah, and him as a person as well. Uh, okay, this show and Kim would do this no matter what he was directing, but this show requires from a director, as you know, Rich, you got to really prepare. You couldn't walk in on a supernatural set and just say, well, I'm just going to wing it. You know, there's just too many moving pieces. You know, in the early years, we had no permanent sets. Jerry Wanick, our um, production designer, was building sets like crazy. Uh, you just had to know your stuff. There were some people who tried to come in and wing it, and, and it showed. Kim's 
preparation was like nobody's I've ever seen. He not only had every shot he was going to do, he had lens sizes in his script. Wow. So, I mean, that, that's an amazing way to prepare. For me, he wouldn't give you a lot of options in the cutting room. He knew what it was he wanted and he would shoot it that way. And you were, this was the way you had to do it. Yeah. You know, we used to have a running joke in the uh, cutting rooms, even if it was some other director, and we were just looking for a shot that we thought might bridge something. And we'd say, well, no, Kim didn't shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> My approach is where I prepare, clearly, is I like to leave room for some happy accidents. I'm not, I'm not so locked into my prep that I don't, I, I don't allow for an actor suggestion or if I'm setting up a shot, I go, oh, wait a minute, that looks kind of cool. Let's put a rack focus in there. Kim's stuff is great, but I, I've never seen anybody who just, I mean, he would just say, okay, put it here, put a, you know, <laughs> yeah. put a 20 millimeter on, get it in the, uh, you know, sling it low. And then we're going to dolly in a 360, you know, yeah. <laughs> that was it. That was yeah. just the way he worked. Yeah. What Brilliant. was he, what was he like as a person? Was he, uh, I would imagine him a little like you, Bob, like, you know, we always laugh and we, we say, Hey, was that take okay? And you're like, Oh no, are you one of those kind of actors? And that, that's, that's our, <laughs> our Bob Singer. But was he kind of like that? Let's see. Hard nosed. He was, uh, I don't know that I'm hard nosed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get well, a note. I'm yeah, going to get I a note. I never realized you thought of I'm, me that way. I'm going to yeah, get a um, note about that later. From Eugenie. <laughs> <laughs> Kim could be really gruff. The actors love him because, again, he comes in and he knows what he, he wants. He's not going to be effusive in his praise of a take. We just all business with him. You know, okay, cut, print, that one's good. All right, moving on. Yeah. Um, when you were around him socially, he was a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, very gregarious and a lot of great war stories. But on set, he was uh, all business. And, you know, he became a producer, basically the producing director on the show. If a director wasn't up to snuff, in Kim's eyes, he would let him know it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> wow. So you mean when when he did this first episode, he was a hired gun for one, right? That's yeah. it. You got brought him for one. Was it right after that that you guys were like, oh, we're going to add him to the roster. We need him on board. How did that play out? Well, early on, they you know, they're talking about having a producer director. And, you know, that was a job that I always thought if you had a really good roster of directors, you didn't exactly need a producing director. I mean, the greatest thing about a producing director is, you know, he's going to do three, four episodes a year. Right. That you'd be comfortable with, with him directing. For me, it was more important to have Phil Segrisha in the editing room running post. I kind of won that. And, you know, and Eric ended up loving Phil and he's on the boys now. With yeah, yeah. Eric. But Kim came to do an episode. It was a great episode. And Peter Roth, who had been head of Fox and was there for all the X-Files uh, years, said, well, maybe you should have Kim go up and be the producing director. And I, and I said, you know, great. If you want to add him to the budget, I'm, I'm all for it. And that's, it, was re it really came from Peter Roth, the idea. And not that we didn't resist it for a second. I hope you're enjoying the episode, but we need to pull over for a quick second for some messages. Thanks for listening. Now back to the episode. Such an all-star roster when you look back at it now. You know, it's like when you look at like a Yankees team from like the right. 90s. Like, wow, they had that guy and that guy. I mean, 
Bob Singer, Kim Manners. I know. You know, uh, Eric. yeah. Yeah, Kripke. And then even people like Sarah Gamble, who now is doing shows like You and, you know, has been very successful. Still, who's who's all. So did Kim plant his uh, his flag up there in Vancouver? Was he permanently there? Oh, yeah. He was very comfortable with that because he had spent so many years doing X-Files up there. Right. You know, and you're looking for a location. He had shot every location probably in Vancouver. He'd say, oh, you know, you should go out to that dock by the blah, 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 and that, that'll be perfect for you. you know? Right, right, right. Very helpful. And well, speaking of dock, this script presents a lot of filmmaking challenges in that it has kids, like heavy lifting, the the one child, Lucas, who's, you know, got a lot of drama mm-hmm. to, to the role. And also mm-hmm. then the, the kid in the water, yeah. you know, that whole sequence. And then you have water. You know, these are challenging elements to work into an episode of a TV show. This is not a TV movie. So I would assume that, A, Kim's expertise and longevity in the business helped in tackling those issues because he's been doing it so long. But early on, season one show, three episodes deep, that's a lot to tackle. I mean, how did that go, (laughs) I guess is my question. It went great. I mean, in the hands of a lesser director, I don't think it would have gone quite as well, because as you said, it was a really difficult episode to do. But the time he rolled camera with Kim, he was ready to go. He knew what he wanted, people around him, the ADs or the camera people or uh, the set people, everybody knew what their job was and what was expected of them. That was part of Kim's, the way he operated. I mean, you know, it was difficult, you know, but you look at those dailies and you go, wow, this is good. You know, it was a good script with the right director. Tough stuff. Let me tell you, Vancouver water is never warm. <laughs> right. Sure. Right. Yeah. I thought about that when all the actors have to get in the water I at the end of the show. I didn't think about that. Of course, yeah. that would be a nightmare. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did, did we get it? <laughs> One you know, more. You know, but Kim would just, you know, I mean, his personality, oh, shut up, just get in there and do the job. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting to know that he was, again, because I, Rob and I know him from mythology only, yeah, really. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I know, and I, you know, I did work with him once. And I stood there quietly because I was intimidated by the guy. And then at one point, while they're setting up a shot, which to your point was a very specific, it was like it was a crane move for one line. It was like roop, and that, I was going to say like, I don't know, guys. And then that was it. It was just for one like little snippet. And I was kind of standing there quietly while they were setting it up. And uh, he turned to me. He's like, "So where are you from, young man?" And I think I said, "I'm from Nashville." T- before they were ready with the camera, he's like, all right, let's move on. Let's get the shot. I'm not sure I got Tennessee out. So that was my only exchange with him. But I but I am kind of surprised to find out, because he seemed quieter to me. I, I didn't really know that he was more of the, the snappity-snap, you know, come on, let's go. Uh, not a hugger, you're saying. No, he, he was not a hugger. And, um, you know, if things were going well, he would just, he, you know, low-key. It was only if things were going less than well that he could be uh, a curmudgeon. Right. A, a great guy. I mean, I miss him terribly. Yeah. Oh, the crew loved him. I mean, you could tell. Yeah. You mentioned missing him terribly. That yeah. was the theme for everybody. I mean, when he passed away, Rob and I were involved with the show, but we didn't know him well, but certainly we were around for the reaction. People were in mourning when I came up to do my first episode. It was like this This had just happened. Everybody in the crew. Like, everybody down the line. You know, he wouldn't, obviously, he was somebody who wasn't just kind to the big people. Like, he obviously knew the crew, liked the crew, had the respect of the crew. Oh, yeah. And I, and I think he felt that he had certainly more of an affinity for the crew than the suits. Mm-hmm. You know, right. Just, Kim's dad was a uh, basically a line producer. He, you know, he took Route 66 on the road. And so Kim grew up around moving a production along. 
And mm. um, before he's a director, I believe he was an AD. And, you know, it was, he had a way. It was, this is the way we're doing it, you know, and everybody knows to the grindstone. And crews really appreciate that. You know, the, the thing that would drive a group crew crazy is a director walks on set and kind of, you know, holds his chin and looks around in 360 degrees and trying to figure out what the hell he's going to do, you know, and you get 75 people that just go, Oh God, no, this is going to be a long day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know. Not like, not like that with uh, Kim or you, Rich, by the way, you're just, just so the audience knows one of my favorite directors. Hey, look at that. Bob. I appreciate that. Kind words from my mentor. Uh, Your started going up. And mine going down because the hard <laughs> hashtag hard. You're, you're getting an angry letter from Eugenie, but <laughs> Bob and I are gonna have drinks. Um, Bob, speaking of related to people, is it true that you're related to Abby Singer? No. Okay. Aha. Okay. We heard that we we're like, how do we not know that? <laughs> well, let's tell everybody who Abby Singer is because yeah. I think there's a backstory there. So, legend of Abby Singer, Bob, go. He's a studio guy and a production guy, and he could be tough. You know, if you, if you weren't shooting on time if you were running behind abby was not helpful uh or he tried to be helpful but he was tough but he really came into the lexicon of of movie talk where abby would think a a show was running a little a day was running behind he would come down to the set and they go all right what what do we what do we got left all right and the way you got abby off the set was you go (laughs) this one and and one more and then we'll be done (laughs) Uh, this one and one more, and Abby would leave saying, okay, I guess it's two shots. We can live with that. You know, it wasn't always true, but it was always <laughs> this, this one and one more. And that shot, the next to last shot of the day, has been known as the Abby. And as I was saying, and I'm going to tell you, Rich, when we were in England shooting Sam Circus, right? the English assistant director, when we get the, the next to the last shot, he goes, okay, boys, it's the Abby, right? And I'm going... How do they know the, the Abbey? So I went to him and I said, how do you know the, the Abbey? He goes, I don't know. We just call it that. Uh, oh, my gosh. It had just become it a part traveled, of. It had traveled across the Atlantic. They wow. had no idea why they were calling it the they Abbey. They probably th- thought it was about some kind of church. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Time for us to go pray for forgiveness for this shoot. That's um, so funny. Well, that's amazing. I so thought you were going to be like, and they call it the Giles. So I want to <laughs> solidify one thing. It's definitely not. He wasn't a first AD. Abby, he probably was originally, and then he moved into uh, production. Um, so when he, but he became famous for this being this guy. It was mm-hmm. when he was up the food chain. Yeah. not a first AD version of himself. Right. Gotcha. Right. That's the way I heard the story. Yeah. Second last shot's the Abby, and then the last shot is the Martini or the window. If you're in Canada, really? Yeah. In Canada, it's called the window. Why? You're going to jump out the window? You're going to get paid at the window. Oh wow! There's the window for your paycheck. Wow. Whereas in America, in you just start drinking. <laughs> yeah. I think in England, it's the window too. Is it really? Yeah. Here's a question. So the shot at the beginning of this episode, the girl gets attacked from underwater and you see the shot of her from below looking up and she's swimming. The very Jaws like. Are those homages on purpose? Is someone going, hey, let's do a Jaws homage here. Um, There were some Japanese horror looking shots and a little bit of carry. Is that on purpose or is that just because that's another scary underwater shot? Um. I think it's 
it, it's probably a little of both. I don't think that a, um, I'm not sure how Kim felt, but you do the shot that you think is required. Now, you wouldn't say, well, that's an homage to Jaws, right? But somewhere in your head, you were thinking, uh, what's the best way to do this shot? And then subconsciously. <laughs> right, right. You know, you know, I think good directors have seen good movies. Right. And, you know, things sort of stick with you. Yeah, sure. Right, right, right. That's an iconic whether shot. You, whether you're aware of it or not, you do right. that. I remember I was doing a pilot and I wanted to do this shot where the sun was rising and this Jeep was going across this desert landscape. I was explaining the shot to uh, Adam Kane, who was the uh, DP on that show, right? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you want the Raiders shot. <laughs> Right. Uh, Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, so we all have our kind of um, sure. you know, points of influence. Yeah, and, right. And they kind of stick with you, and whether you're aware of it or not, it's there. Yeah, it's and, like, you're, and you're probably pulling it from somebody else. Like that shot was probably inspired. Like sure. Spielberg probably pulled that shot from something he saw. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, same in music. You're always doing like you know everything boils back to something the Beatles did, which right. was boils <laughs> back to something that you know all of their influences. Yeah, exactly, the, the Beach Boys or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So here's a question for you. You do this uh, episode 103, it's water, it's kids, it's big, and it's a home run because Kim's behind it. That's fantastic, but are you doomed now to huge episodes? Like, it, it, you know, be careful what you wish for. If you pull off the big one, does that now cement the fact that you guys are going to be pushing envelopes and being big the whole time? Well, I don't think we, we thought we'd be big Every time, you know, a, a good script doesn't have to be big and a good scary script doesn't have to be big. And like I said, you know, I mean, Kim finished that on time, on budget. It was not a, um, we didn't feel like we went off the rails. The next one was big, but. It was big. The next one it, with all the, Dude. we're going to get into that later, but. Uh, so big. All the airplane stuff. You know, but I always looked at the seasons like not necessarily what any individual episode's budget was, but the budget for the season. So we'd say, all right, if we're going to spend X amount of dollars, that's going to be over and above what we would normally spend on this episode. How are we going to make that up two episodes down the line? You know, you say, all right, well, maybe we should do a locked room episode or just something that we know is not going to be expensive. So it kind of balances out over the course of the season, leaving enough money where your finales are going to be big. So I, I always approach producing a series th that way. I'm not, not so concerned about every single episode, whether it's going to be, if an episode would you know is going to be big and going to be over budget, you plan to compensate for that down the line. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, in this episode, we have Amy Acker is a, is a great guest star in this episode, really holds it down as the mother. She's been in a lot of other things at this point and since then. How involved are you as executive producer in casting? In L.A. casting, I would be in the room as with Eric, and we would do that together. When you're shooting out of town, like we shot in Vancouver, it's not always easy to get the director's input because the director is up prepping. So the auditions are all recorded, and you would send it up for the director to see. Pretty much, if Eric and I agreed who we should go with, you know, we'd say to the director, this is, this is who we want, you know, and um, that's pretty much the way it would go. Conversely casting in Vancouver where the director's kind of the guy and we get the recording sent down to us and the director would list his choices, you know, one, two, three. And, you know, we try to go with what the director wanted since he was not so involved in the LA casting. 
And most of the casting, as you guys know, is done out of Vancouver. You know, we would, you guys were lucky. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> we were. <laughs> or did, wasn't it the, 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 you know, we would have like two or three parts from LA and the rest would be Vancouver. Right. Back in the day, you're talking about sending tapes up to the director. Well, you know, now that means emailing a digital file. Right. Or looking at, looking now that's, at all, that's all we do. So now, but back in the day, were you like FedExing stacks of videotapes? Like what was No, the... no, even then we could send electronically. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Wow. Look at that. I, I, I just say, I just say those things because that's because I'm an old guy, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I, I don't say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm recording that episode. I'm going, I'm taping that episode. Yeah, totally. yeah sure. Same. I'm always, you know, I'll say send tape. I still say that. And, you know, yeah, and now it's changed so much, like casting you were all doing uh, online. Yeah, I mean, when you directed in the last season, Richard, were you ever in the room? Well, yeah, we still did a, a casting in the room. In, in Canada. In, in Canada, yeah. But if you had a big, chunky role, you wanted to cast it from L.A.? Not. It, it depends. Like, you know, at, Vancouver had a lot of talent. And, and so, you know, there are several of the big guest roles that I cast that I was involved in for my episodes where we would find it in Vancouver, which was always strongly encouraged from a fiscal standpoint. They're like, Hey, if you could find a home run in Vancouver, yay. Yeah, that's true. Er early on, it was less, uh, there was less of that until we really kind of got comfortable with the uh, Vancouver acting community. But like in the case of dead in the water with Amy Acker, that was, you know, maybe she can correct me, but I, I don't know. I don't think she read. I just think, you know, we, this is what we wanted. Offered it. I'm sure, because she had a she know, had a big resume at the time. She yeah. was working all the time. Still right. is, but and it's the same with um Daniel U. Kelly, who's in that episode, who I had worked with. He was the lead actor in the movie I produced, Cujo, and he was also in Hardcastle and McCormick. So Right. Uh, let's go get Danny. I mean <laughs> Wow, well, and uh, remind us who which who he played in this episode. He's the sheriff. Yeah. He's, he's the, great. He's, he's the, the, the ultimate guy. bad guy. Yeah. So like he's great. So that's actually, I mean, that's a good example of something you're doing there. Like you have that history with so many folks in the industry that, aside from just putting together a crew and hiring Sayers, these roles come up. You got a rolodex of actors you've worked with that is deep, and I'm sure for a season one show, especially that no one knows, no one knows what it is or if it's going to be good. It really helped to have you making those phone calls to people you had relationships with to go, hey, come do this show. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, that made my life and Eric's life easier. You know, I said, you know, uh, Gary Cole would be great in this party. Oh, can you get Gary Cole? Let me call Gary. And, you know, he went up, had a good time and did it. Wow. You know? <laughs> right. That's helpful. Yeah. That's very helpful. All right. Speaking of Amy Acker, guess who we've got on the line? Who? Amy Acker. What? Hi, Amy. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for being willing to to come back and talk about a show you did 16 years ago. This is a mighty big idea. Um, do you remember, do you remember the casting for this episode? Was it, did they ask you to be a part of it? Did you have to read for it? I did not. I, they just asked me to do it, which is always, you know, That's great. the best, the best way to get a job. That's what we predicted. <laughs> we, we were just talking about you right before you came on and Bob had predicted by his best memory that you were a, a phone call. Would you come please do this show? So yeah. he wins the bet. Uh, but, but you'd never heard of the show. You're, the show had been on for five minutes at that point. Yeah. I mean, I guess it hadn't even aired yet, really. No, right? it hadn't. Yeah. So. so how much about that do you recall? I, I well, I like working, and I it sounded fun, <laughs> and it seemed like a good part. Um, and I love Vancouver. 
And so I was just really excited to go. Um, I had like a new baby and it was kind of my first time to get to. Oh, wow. Escape the house. Wow. <laughs> I, was, I was like, sign me up. Wow. I'll stay longer. No. So how's that baby now? 16? Uh, yeah. I, I, which one was it? I have a almost 17 year old That's and it. a 15 year old. So wow. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So you're so great in it. You really like hold down the episode. We were saying like this first season of the show had so many great guest stars. Yeah. And everybody, you know, really knocked it out of the park. It's a pretty scary episode. Yeah, it's real creepy. Like, <laughs> what was the scariest, hardest scene for you to shoot? Was it being in the tub when you like get drowned in the tub? The tub, the tub was a pretty crazy one. Because you also had to be like fake naked, right? It's called I fake was, it. Yeah, there was <laughs> there was a lot happening. <laughs> it was dark. It was there was some fake naked stuff, which was almost naked yeah and a tub filled with chocolate milk that i was inside is of. that what what it was and yeah. then how then then when you actually went to set to shoot the scene what was that like <laughs> I mean, this, this sounds like just a 1980s yeah. party that was just the sudden place <laughs> <laughs> uh but for real that was chocolate milk yeah that's hilarious <laughs> delicious oh my god so. I, that would not have, you know, you try to guess what they're using for the stuff. That oh, would not have been no. on my short list. <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrifying scene. And then Sam comes and yanks you out of the tub. And there you are, sort of fake naked. Yeah. You really a, hung up on the fake naked part, I well, see. Well, I was thinking that. I was like, this is hard for scene for her to shoot. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And he yeah. yanks her out of the oh. tub. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> no, it well, it's a good way to meet and bond with an actor. Well, hello, I'm Amy. I'll be exactly. naked in the tub. You'll be grabbing me out of it. Exactly. So how far into the schedule did that scene come? If that's, if that's the most challenging. I, I actually think that was at the, I mean, I'm not remembering exactly, but I feel like that was one of the last things we did. So you knew the guys. It, it wasn't bit. like I had, they weren't like day one. Right, naked, right. Get in the right. tub. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, you had, and you had kids at the time, but they were tiny. But yes. had you done a lot of playing, because you you're, you're young now, but you were very young then. Had you done a lot of playing moms and that kind of thing at that point in your career? No, I think, I think that may have been the first mom I ever played on TV. I would think. Yeah. Um, you were a child bride in that show. <laughs> How'd you find working with a child actor? He was great. I mean, the whole scene where he was drowning and jumping in the lake. I mean, that was, that was definitely the hardest part of the episode. I don't think it was Robert, but someone came up to me like 15 years later at Comic-Con who was a producer on Supernatural. And I turned around and he was like, you ruined the water for us. And I was like, what? <laughs> was like, that was so hard. We never did water again. After <laughs> was that you, Bob? It was not. Okay. The Jim Michaels, maybe? It, is, it could be. Or uh, Phil has the charm. It was, it was all in fun. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you got to work with Kim Manners on this episode. I did. And we were just talking about Kim because Rich and I, well, Rich got to work with him and I missed him by the time I was on the show. Do you remember much about that experience and what it was like working with Kim? I mean, he had just so much energy. I had just come off of Angel and his brother, Kelly Manners, was the producer of Angel. So oh, I'd worked wow. with him for the last five years previous. And they both are like so energetic, so much life, just so much fun to be around. And oh, I wow. feel like 
yeah, it was, he was, he was a great guy. That's cool. Did he ever talk to you when you were shooting about like the tone of the show or? Yeah. Cause you're coming in blind. How did they bring you up to speed about what this actually was striving to be? Gosh, I'm sure that there was, there was talk about that, but I, I don't remember a specific conversation. Yeah. Um, I guess if you're if you're reading the script that says you, you'll be drowning in the water, you're not thinking so comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the boys were you know already like so on it and such pros, Jared and Jensen, yeah. and they you know they set the tone. Uh, it seems like, which would be my guess as to why it ran for millions and millions of years, is because they were so they were so great to work with and had such a great like attitude about the whole thing and I, I feel like they just set the tone for the whole thing and wanted so it, it it was clear what what was expected of you by how great they were yeah yeah here's my question I correct me if I'm wrong and I might be wrong but aren't you from Texas yes did you boys you because Jared and Jensen are Texas boys did you guys yeah. bond over that yeah, that was our, that's, you know, the go-to first thing. We're like, oh, we're all from Texas. So it's cool. great. <laughs> Where in Texas are you from? I'm from Dallas. Okay. Which I think Jensen, Jensen is. Yeah, yeah, one of the boys yeah. is from there. Jensen's Dallas. Yeah, and... I think we went to like rival high schools. Oh, funny. Ooh, and yet still you made the scene work. It's, am <laughs> it's amazing. Well, you're over it's like a Romeo and Juliet. Uh-huh. Very much so. <laughs> so now listen, you've done a gazillion shows. Uh, super successful work every five minutes. You did Person of Interest, and on that show, Sarah Shahi was also in Person yes. of Interest and had been in Supernatural. Supernatural, yeah. Exactly. So I'm curious if that ever came up. It's like, oh, did you do that creepy show with the Texas guys? So did I. Did that, <laughs> was that ever a conversation piece? You know, Sarah and I also both did Alias. And I feel like there was one other show that we had both been on. So we did have have a discussion of like, Funny. we just had constantly missed each other and then yeah. ended up getting to make out a lot on on Person of Interest. <laughs> At some point, I dare watch. I say it, Rob and I, we'll get that role. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, note to self, watch Person of Interest. Um, and then you're also in the Buffy and Angel world, the Joss Whedon world. And you're not the last person, to, I guess, from... That world to guest star in Supernatural, I had a small role in Buffy, so I would be one of those. But when you go to conventions, do you see a lot of crossover fans? Do people from Supernatural come up as well? I mean, I feel like everyone is a Supernatural fan. And there's <laughs> like, you know, Angel and Buffy are now 20 years ago right. since they've been on the air. But it's fun to see like the new generation of people passing that down to their kids. And I feel like those kids have like seen Supernatural first and now we're going back and watching Angel and Buffy, which is right. fun. I know, it is fun. We, we've noticed that in the last 10 years of doing the Supernatural conventions that it's gone from fans to fans and their children. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I know. It's we're going through generations, which says yeah. a lot about how old we are. But <laughs> So people come to you at these conventions. Obviously you have a litany of work that they're drawn to you for. Supernatural being one role, Early on, but still, fans who are fans are committed fans. Do people bring you like eight by tens from that show, or you know, ceramic bathtubs for you to sign and that kind of thing? I've definitely signed some like DVDs and such, uh, some supernatural stuff here and there. But for the kids at home, a DVD is a is a round <laughs> metallic disc that has programming on it. If you put it in a player called a DVD player, I always think it's funny they still send us uh, the screeners. 
They send uh, people in the unions get screeners at awards time, and they send us DVDs to watch the screeners on. I know. <laughs> Apparently, you can you can opt out of that. I just heard that. For, yeah. For the environment, or because you don't have a DVD. Exactly. I just heard that. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. You uh, can good opt to know. Out. We've learned something here today. Beyond supernatural, from yeah. Amy Acker. <laughs> Um, what's next for you? What are you up to? What has Amy Acker got in that pipeline? Well, right now I am recurring on 911 Lone Star. Oh, great. Um, so I'm, I'm dating Rob Lowe on that. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. And I did a pilot for Freeform that we're waiting to hear if it gets picked up, which is, you know, got some supernatural vibes. It's kind of a horror ish um it's kind of not not really supernatural it's more of like a knives out type thing but oh, there's awesome. definitely a horror element to it that's, that's awesome. great does 911 lone star shoot in the lone star state no but it shoots in los angeles which that's great you know, is amazing good. that never happens you know <laughs> good for those of us with families there's so many shows in texas doubling it for los angeles it's good that they should make los angeles double for texas yeah, exactly why, why the hell not exactly you don't need to know it's Texas because as soon as you see Rob Lowe on TV, you immediately think Texas. I Texas. mean, it's just nobody, <laughs> nobody screams big hat boots like old Robbie Lowe. That's awesome. Congratulations. I hope your pilot gets picked up and runs for 16 seasons and oh, sur- surpasses you. Supernatural. Uh, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for being a part of this experience and this conversation. Oh, thank you guys for having me. That was so fun. Thanks, Amy. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. So, Bob, people who know Supernatural obviously associate it with a fantastic soundtrack. It's part of what made the show the show early on. I will say 70s rock was sort of a cornerstone of the whole tone of the show. And there's a whole Zeppelin rules moment between Dean and the, the young boy character of Lucas at the end of Dead in the Water. Which sort of tips his hat to the fact that Dean's a huge Zeppelin fan. But, trivia, there's yeah. no Zeppelin music in the show Supernatural ever. Is that something that you guys could never, you know, never get Bobby Plant and uh, James Page on, on the horn? Or what happened there? That was really a question of, of money. I mean, we, we tried a couple of times. It's so expensive. It was, just, it was just out of our price range. Yeah, but you guys still managed to get some huge acts in the show. They weren't cheap. Some guys were great about it. Uh, others, not so much. Yeah. Bob, this is fantastic. I know we're going to talk to you more about other shows. In the next episode. Yeah, but this is so great to finally get you on here with us to have this conversation. An argument can be made that there's Jared, there's Jensen, there's Kripke, there's Singer, and you have been the rock for 15 years. Absolutely. And are a key component to the success and longevity of the show. So... It's awesome to have you here. My, my pleasure, guys, really. And it was great to see you, too. Uh, love you, buddy. And God, God willing, we'll play some music again one of these days. That would be great. Indeed. That would be great. Thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bob. We'll talk again soon. Okay, bye-bye. I hope you're enjoying the episode, but we need to pull over for a second for some messages. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And now back to the episode. Wow. That was fantastic. So, so great to talk There's to There's nobody you. I love more than Bob Singer. He's so great. 
And really, like, you know, like we can't say it enough, but he really is the backbone of the show. Oh, he's so great. I mean, just as a director, as a visionary, as a guy who's in the writer's room, executive producer, in the purest definition of the word. Yeah. All right, let's do some bits. Let's do it. We like to do a bit called Antiques Road Trip, where we talk about basically the things that age this show. Right. There's a strange piece of paper Dean is receiving at the top of the episode. I noticed that. I didn't know what it was. Yeah, and I may have this wrong, but I think it's called a, a new paper or new news newspaper. I think it's if it's a brand new paper, it'd be called new paper. New paper. It's a new paper that has the news on it. Oh, that's weird. Do you remember newspapers, nope. everybody? I'm too young. They were great. Well, I, I used to get the Sunday LA Times every Sunday. Sure you did, Pappy. <laughs> they were great. Got you the news. And also, they're great lining for pet cages and sometimes wrapping paper. Ah, what a money saver. Yeah. And then uh, we like to uh, check in on the bitch count. Which, is really, we need to retitle it because it sounds offensive. I guess it does, But yeah. we, what, we're, what we're really doing is we're counting the number of times that, mainly Dean, but that people say, son of a bitch. Or a bitch. Or bitch. Yeah. In the show. So uh-huh. we're, we're counting uh-huh. those words. And, and uh, sad to report, there are no bitches in this episode. You know, the explanation was longer than the bit. Yeah. Uh, So we kept it clean in this episode. Yep. But we do have some trivia. The lake house that they used in this show, in this episode, was also used in Jensen's movie Devour, which I have not seen, but I hear it's very weird. I have also not seen it, but I hear that it's weird. I'm going to go ahead and say this is the first time I've ever heard that there was a movie called Devour that Jensen was in. I know. Same. Uh, So look that up. IMDb that. You know what? I hear that Jared had a broken hand while filming this uh, episode. Now, veteran... Interviewers would have confirmed this with the executive producer when he was on the show, but sadly those guys called in sick and we're here. Yeah, so so we have no idea if it's true or not. But that's the word on the street. That's right. Um, the episode begins with a running joke throughout the series that Loch Ness monster is, is real. I don't know why that's a joke. The Loch Ness monster is real. That's right. This is the first time the boys use non-rock aliases, Ford and Hamill, which they return to all the way in season fifteen. Episode 5, Proverbs 17.3. Ford and Hamill. Ah, yes. Yeah. Cooking? Who are these guys? Um, there was a movie called Star Wars. Not a fan. Seemed... Okay. All right. Dad's Journal. Uh, let's get into the uh, lore of it all. Okay. This episode doesn't use a specific urban myth or monster, so there's not as much lore to unpack. But interestingly, the overall context of the show, this is the second ghost the boys have taken on. And for a second time, it wasn't ganked via burning the bones. In fact, the ghost isn't really defeated at all, at least not by the boys. Peter finishes the unfinished business by killing Jake. So not a great track record here. I did watch the episode, as we do in our prep, and I couldn't help but wonder... Is that it for the kid, or is he? I mean, he's still floating around out there. I know they talk about the lake being drained, but yeah. it wasn't drained during the credits. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that kid could. No, he's a, still there. He could get a hankering to to kill and do it again. I think we were supposed to believe that since he killed the sheriff, his business is done there. Yeah, he's well, killed both the boys that killed him. I know, but I'm just saying that's kind of I don't know. Somebody left the cake half baked, in my opinion. That's Sam true. and Dean, I'm looking at you. Wow. All right. The gauntlet has been thrown. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, episode credits. This episode stars Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester, Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester, Amy Acker as Andrea Barr. Daniel Hugh Kelly as Sheriff Jake Devins, Nico McKeown as Lucas Barr. Bruce Dawson as Bill Carlton and Troy Clare as Will Carlton. The episode also features D. Harlan Cutshall, Betho Shirkoff, Amber Broicki, Aaron Rhoda and Kiera 
Cabot. And to all those people, apologies. Yeah, please. If we didn't get the name right. Which we didn't. Dead in the Water was written by Sarah Gamble and Rail Tucker. It was directed by the illustrious Kim Manners and edited by Anthony Pinker with music by Christopher Lennertz and featured songs by Jesse Turnbow, Rat, Billy Squire, and Bad Company. With songs on streaming by J.D. Bradshaw, Robin Barnett, and 383 Stroker. It was executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. Dead in the Water first aired on September 27, 2005. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spade Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine, written by Jessica Mason, and edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. Audio engineering by Caitlin Holley. Music provided by Tim Wynn. The episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. For the latest news on this and other podcasts, follow Story Mill Media on Instagram or Twitter. Hi, everybody. It's Rob Benedict. You want to say that without the nuts in your mouth? (laughs) (laughs) If I had a nickel. Here's here's an interesting Bob Seger, Bob Singer, Bob Seger crossover Uh story. Okay. Bob Singer, our guest today, has appeared at some supernatural conventions. That's right. And is a hell of a musician. That's right. And has played with the band Loud and Swain and a couple of uh, big Saturday night shows. That's right. My band Loud and Swain. Right. Played a little, uh, blend some blues, played mm-hmm. some harp, mm-hmm. you know, and it's and it's awesome. I was on a flight to one of those shows, I guess in Jersey or wh- wherever we were going, Chicago, okay. wherever you were playing with us, Bob. And I was talking to Adam Malin, the guy who runs Creation Conventions, uh-huh. about one of the songs we're going to do with you, and talking about playing with Bob Singer and what we're going to do. And then I continue down the airplane towards the restroom, and I'm waiting, and a guy follows me. He's like, excuse me, are you a musician? I'm like, I mean, I, I, I'm a hobby, hobby player, I mean, I suppose. A dabble. And he's like, are, are you playing with Bob's, and I thought he said singer, and I said, yeah, I'm playing, playing behind Bob Singer this weekend. <laughs> and he proceeds to go off on how much he loves Bob Seeger and how many times he's seen Bob Seeger. And the Silver Bullet Band. And at this point, I have stuck both my feet in the tar, and there's no way out of this. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was a that was a dope venue. That was a great tour. We love that tour. <laughs> yeah, literally, I'm going like, crap, this man's, he thinks I'm playing for Seeger. Right. As part of the Silver Bullet Band. He's going to land, try to find the show at his local auditorium, and then realize I'm a liar. I better get the hell out of the airport. And, and then he's going to show up at the Marriott and think he's going to be seeing Seeger. <laughs> But well, for one moment. I think we were actually playing a, a Bob Seeger song with Bob Singer. Well, there you go. It all it's come full circle. I mean, this is going to take you guys like what the next ten years or yeah. something. Yeah. Or Rob and I will be sixty-seven when we're done, and we're not kidding. <laughs> that was great, man. I uh, I get I get nervous. She's so pretty. <laughs> well, note to self: if you don't get nervous around somebody, you don't find them attractive. <laughs> Good to know. That's why you never make Please, me nervous. Please, God, tell me I don't make you nervous. <laughs> Story Mill Media. 